BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Always use your head. Thank you, Amber. Welcome, everyone, fellow basement dwellers, into this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. I am your good friend, Patrick O'Dowd, continuing his plea with Craig DeMarco to do the Hall & Oates retrospective on The Greg DeMarco Show. With Craig DeMarco, Patrick O'Dowd, and Miranda Morales. Tony's rolling his eyes. No love for Yacht Rock and, and Hall & Oates. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, no, it's all good. I love the open. And everything. I, 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 I want, I want my dreams to come I, true. I sometimes I tell people be careful. You're gonna have to mess with Hall and Oates, you know. But uh, no, nah, I don't need a whole fucking show about them. Then you just don't know entertainment, sir. That's that, fine. That's, that's why it, I'm not that, asking you to do the Hall and Oates it, retrospective. I've been found out. <laughs> you, 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 have, you have not. You're off the list. You're off the list. I think, thank you. So, yes, everyone, welcome. This is Bandwagon Nerds. I'm your good friend, Patrick O'Dowd, welcoming you back in. It's been a minute. Uh, It's been a couple of weeks, fellas. Uh, I am this week, of course, you heard 
joined by the live studio audience, Mr. Saturday Night himself, PC Tunney, who apparently dislikes Hall and Oates to the I point of uh, no. I now just, you've heard it here first. Tony hates Hall and Oates, and yep. that's okay because you know who doesn't hate Hall and Oates? <laughs> the lawyer himself, Mr. David Ungar Esquire, the seventy-fourth. Hello, yeah. sir. David Welcome Ungar. back. So I went from the thirty-fifth, like a butterfly, and was stung, stung by like a, a bee. Wa- yeah, exactly, man. So I went from the thirty-fifth <laughs> Esquire on Hockey Talk to seventy-fourth. Wow, I don't know if that's a promotion I, or, or what, but it's something that's for hey, sure. Hey, man, yeah, Hall and Oates are on my playlist. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Oh yeah, hey, they should be on everyone's playlist. And who knows? Maybe they'll make an appearance on on an upcoming episode of um, Musical Chairs when when the summer hits. I, Ooh, I put you through be, that. That could be fun. I know, right? I tried really hard to hit that thirty second threshold so that I didn't get nailed by copyright infringement. We do not own the rights to that music, but that's okay because Hall and Oates is for everyone. Everyone embraces it. They're almost Lionel Richie, not quite. They just uh, Lionel special. It's true. All right, so this is an interesting start to uh, this week's edition of Bandwagoners. We are without Aesop Mitchell, though he is on the call and could join us later. But I have my doubts. We have kind of a we have a little bit of a hodgepodge episode this week. We're going to spend a lot of time actually talking about Star Wars and, and Marvel as usual, but we're going to kind of hone in on something that I picked up on based on some articles that were shared by you guys, um, we're going to talk a little bit about continuity issues uh, and whether they're really issues or whether they're imagined. Uh, The concept of whether or not you need to do homework to watch some of these shows, just a a couple of different topics that I think intertwine a little bit in what we do and what we talk about. And with it being a relatively slow news day, other than, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Maverick, Going to win the box office again this week. I, I finally got to see Top Gun Maverick uh, on Saturday. Tony, have you seen it yet? Are you the Tony, Are you the Tony outlier now? A dirty look. He is. He's the outlier. He, he's he's anti. Is it streaming anywhere yet? Is it streaming anywhere? Coming soon to yeah. Paramount Plus at the movie theater. I'm Tony, sure. it's streaming oh. on the big screen. You bastard. I. Here's the thing, Tony. Pay, I, I pay know. PayPal me thirteen forty nine and I'll go see it this week. Give me your address. Well, what's funny is I didn't I didn't actually no, pay attention. No, to get out here. I don't want to see it. <laughs> I, I didn't actually have to. I didn't actually pay admission to see the movie. That, that was the thing is I actually had a rain check uh, ticket for when the projection went sideways at uh, my local Cinemark because they had uh, they had they have these things called Fathom events and I don't know if you guys have similar stuff, but like Fathom events does like these like weekend specials where you can only watch something in the theater on these two days. And they brought back the transformers animated movie on its whatever anniversary. And I went and saw it. And in the middle of the movie, the projection, the projector just stopped showing the movie. So once they got everything back up and running, we watched the rest of it. Everybody got a free ticket to a show. They took my voucher uh, for that show, which I learned that the Cinemark voucher movie pass when something goes wrong at the theater is good for any movie, even a premiere night night film. So I showed up, walked up on the theater, got the dead center seat in a full theater because like everybody was paired up and like looking for folks. So I like got the money seat. And Tony, I know you don't want to see this in the theater. 
It's a movie you have to see in the theater, though, man. Like, in terms of experience, go to DP's house, watch it on his fancy television and his goofy sound system, because, like, the opening scene when the jet takes off from the aircraft carrier and my theater seat shook, like, I was in. I was in. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's ridiculous. It does get stupid. Aesop talked about it a little bit. The third act, for those of you, like, it, it's, it gets ludicrous but it's top con and it was worth the ludic- the lunacy the ludicrousness to catch it so i i enjoyed it thoroughly but i guess enough about top gun i'm sorry i could talk about it all day greg demarco loved it dave loved it tony doesn't care aesop liked it until the third act where he had some issues but we're gonna jump in because we're back on the we're back on the reviewing of shows train and yep we're not gonna talk obi-wan kenobi at least we we're not going to talk Obi-Wan Kenobi right now. We are going to talk about it later when we get to the later topic discussion uh, because it, it it fits and kind of stems from the greater topic that we were getting into. But The Boys dropped its first three episodes on Amazon Prime this week for the sake of our own sanity and watching. We are only going to cover episodes one and two today. Next week, we will cover episodes three and the debuting four, and then the whole show will be on track with the rest of the series, and I think that is good. Best for business, best for us. We won't be completely current today, but we will be pretty current, and we will be completely current by the time you listen to next week's show. Oh, I thought you were about to say something, Tony. You did some gesturing, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Thank you for gesturing again continuing to confuse the crap out of me uh here this is for you stop confusing me stop i'm very fragile and I, I can't I can't keep up i'm not i'm not drinking today oh he went away why why did he go away what's that all about ah he's back okay so episodes one and two of the boys episode one very much kind of a, a reset of the series where we are now because if you all recall when we last saw the gang, they were beating the holy hell out of Stormfront, or at least the ladies were. Homelander was going off the deep end in his relationship with Stormfront, resulting in the loss of his son, though Billy was doing everything he could to prevent Homelander, along with uh, along with uh, his, his ex, to try and keep his son from Homelander. Um uh, we we get the rise of a political power at the end of season uh, season two that uh, that Huey then turns around and joins. Hello, puppies. The dogs are here. They're excited to talk about it as well. Um, and so there was a lot of like groundwork as we kind of got everything reset. And Tony, I don't know about you. I had to pause the show on more than one occasion. Uh, and the thing I love about when I stream Amazon Prime through my television is when you pause Amazon Prime, it brings up the names of the actors and who they're playing so that I can remember who the hell Huey was or Mother's Milk or, uh, you know, hell, even, I don't know, Queen Mav. I'm just making up stuff uh, at this point. But I needed the refresher because it's been, what, like a year plus, I think, since The Boys was on there. And uh Episode one, I thought, did a pretty good job of like getting us back as we start to watch an unraveling Homelander. We watch uh, Billy Butcher trying to play it straight in what I mean, we opened with, uh, you know, once again, another 
trauma-inducing moment of violence as a dude explodes out of another dude's penis. Um, that was a little messed up because we just we can't. The, we go whole hog. Get to the prostate. Get to the prostate. <laughs> get to the prostate. Get the pro- And here's the thing. Of course, the boys, when they would have their shrinking human doing perverted sex acts, would not go in through the anus. Of course, they're going to go in through the dick hole because that's what the boys does. And, yep, penis just right there on the table. Digging in. So, but you've got Billy, you've got Butcher kind of in conflict, trying to play things on the straight and narrow. And honestly, because he doesn't want to cross Huey, who has joined the federal, like, soups regulation commission and and is trying to, to go at it a different way. He and Starlight aren't living together, but they are fairly solid in their relationship, or so you think, uh, until you learn that Starlight's ex has now entered the entered the picture, and and Huey, of course, is going to be, you know, Huey and be jealous over the whole thing. So that's sort of episode one in a nutshell. Uh, I'll turn it over to uh, Tony since uh, Dave is chewing on things. Episode one, and where we kind of find the gang as we come back. It's funny you brought up the fact that Amazon Prime, when you pause it, or if you're on your laptop, if you just bring your mouse up, it runs and it shows you that too, that you had time to do that because even though I was at breakfast this morning just after 6 a.m. and doing my homework, I failed to actually read the entirety of the first topic. Oh, no. I failed to realize that they were dropping three episodes at once. The problem here is... The new chapter of Fortnite also started this morning. So luckily, luckily, with two hours to go until this show started, <laughs> I went, let's watch the episode now to give myself more time. And lo and behold, went, holy shit, there's three episodes. I don't have time to watch three episodes. Looked at the rundown scene, reviewing episodes one and two, and went, whew, thank God. I don't have time <laughs> for those two. So I did watch them. I am just fresh off of watching them. Um, yeah, we're getting deeper into what's happening now. We're getting into more of the actual story, right? Because honestly, it was really good. The first episode and the second episode. Um, but I like the lighter part of the boys, like back in, you know, early season two and and most of season one, but you have to tell the story. There has to be character development. I, I really lo- we're gonna get to episode two. I really love the way it ended. But yeah, it was a nice refresher. It is really interesting to see where everybody's at. We do get questions answered eventually here. We're gonna talk about from last year's uh, uh, end of the season. So yeah, I'm glad they're back. It's amazing. It, what a great time for streaming. Everything we're watching right now. Dave, your thoughts on episode one, kind of a reset of the series as we we kind of see where everyone is. Yeah, very much a reset of the series, as as you've noted, as to putting everybody in their respective places. You know, okay, here here's where here's where all the pieces are at this point in time, and and you know, going in that direction. So, um, yeah, I thought it was a a very interesting foundational sort of episode, like you're saying. You know, you got. Butcher over here taking care of Ryan, trying to be the dad while still mourning for his, um, you know, his wife who's gone. Starlight trending really popularly to the point that she's going to be the co-captain, much to the chagrin of Homelander. Um, you know, Mother's Milk trying to kind of step away from it, but not really. And and as episode two will note, 
having that trigger with a certain character that we're about to get into. Um, and, and yeah, Homelander, just a lost soul in, in every way. <laughs> and, and, and like Tony's saying, morning, whatever's happened to Stormfront, and that'll, of course, progress as well. But yeah, I, I like, I, I think like uh, Fr- Frenchie and Kim- Kimiko's relationship is, is really something that I like seeing develop. You know, that's very sweet. I like where they are right now. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, and of course, it wouldn't be the boys without some crazy sex sort of thing going on so there you go right and we didn't and the other thing we forgot to talk about or at least i didn't bring up in in sort of the episode one overview is victoria newman uh and we learned that victoria newman wasn't always named victoria newman that uh there's this person who keeps looking for what does he call her nadia I want to say is what he what he keeps asking. He keeps asking for her, chases after her. And of course, this is where Huey then discovers that she's the one who was making everyone's heads explode as she gave her rise to prominence politically. And you learn of a mysterious place called Red River. Uh, there's there's two conspiracies that go on and they and they really dive into it even further in episode two, because you get Red River and then you've got this captain america ripoff character who okay everyone drink because i don't remember the name and for soldier boy got it ha no drinks for you i remembered it um this this guy soldier boy and there being something around his death slash not death in the way he died that could have a big impact impact on vaught we forgot to mention stan edgar thinks he's got control over over Homelander right now. He's the one who is now making all the calls. He wants to get out of there. We learn about his connection to Victoria Newman and that, of course, everything comes back to Vought and Vought is controlling all of the puppet strings. And it's just, it at the end of this second episode, and this is where I got to, Butcher was try, is trying really hard to do right because of Huey. And what Huey wanted to do and to try and do this kind of quote unquote the right day, right way to bring down Vought. And when Huey learns the truth, not only that Victoria is a soup, but that she was adopted by Stan Edgar, the greatest villain, by the way, character actor out there right now, Giancarlo Esposito. That's it. That breaks Huey and the way he wants to do stuff. And he calls up Bill and he says, we're going to do this. I, and I think that we can't do it. We can't do it on the straight and narrow. He gives Butcher permission to start going after soups the way he wants to. And, and that puts us into heading into episode three. Yeah. And then, of course, the part we haven't mentioned is the temporary compound V formula that they come up right. with the 24 hour super boost, which Butcher is given this by I forget who gives it to him. But Queen Maeve. Yeah. Queen, Maeve, Queen Maeve. Maeve. And Maeve and Butcher Maeve is like a mole on the inside. Yeah, Maeve and Butcher working together and she gives him the, and I forget what they call it. They don't call it compound V because that's that names associated V20, with Nazism. V24. Yeah, V24. And Butcher really <laughs> wrestles with the notion of whether to take this or not because he's so anti soup. That the, no- that the notion of him taking on superpowers is so repulsive to him that he just won't do it. And then when, like you're saying, Pat, when Huey says, Victoria's a soup, she's in with Vought, this is all bullshit, we can't do this the right way, we've got to go at them a different way, that convinces him to, um, to take the V24 
And yeah, his uh, execution of gunpowder is uh, uh, there's one to remember. Yeah, he literally beat his face in, and then lasered his head and the car in half. Right. Wow. Jeez. Right. It was it was something else. Okay, we got we got to talk about Homelander. We got we got to talk about it because Homelander is completely unhinged at this point, uh, and and. You talk about somebody who is in a complete free fall because he can't control anything. He is completely out of power, whether it's that his ratings and popularity are down, that his girlfriend who survives only to then bite her own tongue off and choke on it later, you know, in the second she, episode. She she went and million dollar babied herself was the lie. Yes. She million dollar babied herself. When Homelander said he is not going to create a an Aryan race of superior superhero children, uh, which, you know, I guess good. Uh, the way that he's just straight up trying to find anything and everything he can to keep power, whether it's bullying A-Train and calling him fat and going after the dude's high metabolism. And, I, and I'm intrigued to see where, how that's going to impact A-Train because we – we see that's another guy who's really kind of lost and doesn't know what, where to go. He's trying to find some sense of direction. And you've got Homelander at every turn running him down. Uh, you've got him trying to take charge of his birthday celebration. You have him pushing a girl to suicide before. Did Okay, did he push her off or did she jump? She jumped. He, he was going to lay. I don't think so. <laughs> he was going to laser her. I think she made the choice to jump. I think he just went. Maybe. Does so it... there you go. And, and there's ambiguity there. And of course, this is all happening right as we learn that um, Stormfront is dead. And that's his reaction to that. And then episode two ends with as fine a moment for, and, I, and I'm losing the guy's name. Now you can take a drink uh, because I, I, closed IMDb and I can't remember the actor's name who plays Homelander, but the speech he gives when he just goes into this, I'm better than you bow before like you should be bowing before me uh, argument. I, to me, it's the highlight of, of what's been an unhinged character. They've made the bad guy. I, I would argue of, of all the series we've watched, he's been, he's, he's the, the best villain of the bunch. That's, that's my opinion. With the exception of Darth Vader, I'd probably agree with you, but you know that's about it. Uh, she, yeah, the, the, the of the series that we've covered. Well, we're we're covering it internally, so no, I get I get what you're saying, but Dave and Dave and I are covering Obi Wan, whether you like it or not. <laughs> no, um, uh, well, and and I'm sure you will, as I'm absent, and there's nothing I can do about it. But uh, like you're saying, that speech at the end, where it's just like where he finally just decides to say, "I don't give a shit anymore." And, and I think what's going to be fascinating in episode three is how is the audience going to react to that? Because as we know, we're all wrestling fans. Sometimes this whole anti-hero, I don't give a shit, it's all about me approach generates the most positive. Look at MJF's promo on, on Dynamite this week and what that did. And he's basically just coming out saying everybody sucks, including the management. And now everybody starts cheering him. So Pat doesn't care. But anyway, I, I, I don't. I'm curious to see what the audience, you know, what the what the public perception, what the reaction is to this. It's all about me. Bow down before me. I'm the greatest. I'm Homelander. Uh, you know, is it going to help him trend up 
or is he just you know going to crash and burn even further? So, um, yeah, it's well, it's fascinating. This, this is going to add another dimension into I think the story is you're going to bring in the public now. The public's going to be a part of it. You're going to have the public having this sliver of people that are going to be backing Homelander, right? Look at um, look at uh, uh, Mother's Milk's ex-wife's boyfriend or husband, whatever he is to her now. He's like he's super intrigued watching this birthday celebration, right. like smiling, lapping it up that what Homelander's telling everybody, right? There's got to be a segment of the population that goes, you know, fuck all you people. The guy could be that, that don't know better, right? You know, so I, it, it, I think it's another great dynamic of, of the situation. Did you guys right. get a little uneasy? That whole section with gunpowder talking about guns and all this stuff, given what's been going on well, in the nation, I was just like, Damn, that's here. here, Here's we've talked about this when we've covered the boys previously, right? That this show has an uncanny ability to be a reflection of what's going on in the country at the time. And and I I would even take it a step further, Dave, from the second Butcher walks through the uh, the metal detector and the guy's like, oh, and he holds out the gun and the guy's like, oh, nice piece and hands it back to him. And then you walk through, and this is this is the thing I, I thought was really astute. And I'm sure everybody is going to complain about being all woke and shit, which, fuck you, woke isn't a thing. You're just making it up, and it's a buzzword that pisses people off. But the the enculturation of, uh, of guns and firearms in this country is, is a very real thing. And I thought that it's, a, it's an oversimplified view uh, of the narrative, but when he's walking through this gun show, this conference, this convention, and it's children playing. Yeah, not that gun show. A couple of water pistols. That's what that is. Anyway, uh, when you're seeing children coloring bullet, like coloring book pages, you know, when Butcher walks into the gunpowder speech, his, uh, his, gun, his gun rights TED talk, and he's hitting on points that if you go to Facebook right now, you can read in the sense of like gun legislation and the idea that any gun legislation means taking weapons away entirely. Like that, That's a very real narrative. That's a narrative that exists. It is a narrative that is peddled and it's not untrue. Um, but then when he looks in the audience and there's a mom holding an infant while watching, like while here for this presentation, that that's a reflection of, our country and our culture and the other great reflection of our country that I, and of people that I thought um, this episode, episode two really displayed really well. And both of you have already hit it is trauma and and mental and mental health and the way that trauma impacts two very specific characters in this show. Um, Kamiko um, with her, her in her, her lack of a childhood because of her past and the events that happened in the theme park that, that then lead to her having a very heavy conversation with Frenchie about, you know, it's not about the roller coasters that she never got to be a child. And, and, you know, and as we, as we sit there and we think about the events that happened in Texas and, and any of the other sort of things that have happened to you young people, how childhoods get ruined by traumatic events. Like that's, a real thing, regardless of where you stand on a political spe- spectrum, that trauma is real. And then mother's milk and 
the fact that his past trauma makes him obsessive compulsive. Uh, and that he starts to display signs of a of, of obsessive compulsive disorder, whether it's arranging the the plastic silverware at his daughter's birthday party, straightening the paperwork that he's looking at when he's looking at Soldier Boy's history, to when he's ringing the doorbell to drop his daughter off, and he has to tap it before he hits it. Uh, I just think that that the boys does it in a very unique way that is both a hammer over the head, but subtle at the same time. And I, I it's really why I appreciate the show is because the over the top violent stuff. Yeah. That's going to get your attention. There's a message there and it's, and it's a, it's a blunt instrument message, but it's there yeah. and they're going to make sure you hear it. And they do a really good job of, of, of bringing stuff to the forefront and and trying, I mean, I don't know about educating you, but trying to just put it out there, like the like the amusement park, inclusion land, and all this sort of stuff, where where it's like, okay, it's great up to a point, but even they're kind of like saying, okay, this might be going a little bit too far in the uh, up, in, in the pendulum swinging too far, and that sort of thing. And, and you kind of look at it and say, okay, I get what they're saying, but yeah, it's uh like mother's milk, and you talk about his OCD, and, and clearly something happened with Soldier Boy that impacted him massively with his family, and the, he's he's all about it to eventually to the point you find out that he didn't die in some nuclear accident. It's, it's a, it's kind of a cover up as to what really happened to him, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tremendous show. It, it starts, I think it's going to really ramp up from here. So we'll, we'll see what happens, you know? Uh, yeah, it's a Huey and, and what Nadia, Veronica, whatever her, you know, they had such a great relationship. The whole thing about risking herpes to have this bagel sandwich and that sort of thing was was really, it, it, and they had a very sweet, cute relationship, and and you know that that's gone away now, which is kind of sad, but kind of has to. She's right. a, she's a head popper. Yeah, she it took a, a minute popper. to get back to the gratuitous gore. It did, it, it did, but we still got seven episodes to go, fellas. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of gratuitous violence and gore around the corner. Well, you know, probably in the next couple episodes, maybe we'll talk about the deep. We didn't even touch on what's going on Ugh. with the deep and in, in his life. And, you know, this new, this like American Idol-esque contest for the next member of the seven and uh, Starlight's, you know, ex-boyfriend, ex-teenage boyfriend uh, being there. And, and what's his deal going to be? It's, there's a lot there. There's a lot going on. It's, it's going to be interesting. And we're in it for the long haul which is why we don't cover Obi-Wan as well. Well, until we do. So with that, we'll take our first commercial break. I will sit here and see that the idea that two shows will be covered in my absence the next time I'm absent. And when we come back, we'll take a little visit to the trailer park and cover uh, some news around the Nerdosphere. So you are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, part of the ChairShot.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything progressing. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShot.com. Okay, we're back. That's right, we're back, everyone. Small trip to the trailer park this week, Dave, but we are still going to the trailer park, and... If we're going to go to the trailer park, that means one thing. That means we have to cue up that beautiful banjo. Play it for us now, sir. Thank you very much. All right, only three items to, for the trailer park today. I got to share when I was putting the was putting the agenda together yesterday. Uh, yesterday being Saturday when when I put the because we record this on Sunday, plays on Monday, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Anyway, uh, there's a leap year in there, and then you skip consecutive Tuesdays, and the double legged sack race is every other Friday before we actually get to the event itself, as it were. Um, as everybody wraps their heads around all this, when I was putting this agenda together and I was looking at trailers, I was like, man, there's not a lot. Like I thought about putting that trailer about the, the Ray Parker Jr. Uh, documentary on there. The guy who wrote the Ghostbusters scene. And I was like, nah, that doesn't really strike me. It's really interesting. I knew there was one we had to put on there. Even the, the second one that I put on there, I was like, I'm going to put this on there cause it's Disney, but like, I don't, I kind of care. I don't know that I really care. And then Sunday comes along. People are looking at trailers and suddenly we get suggestions and Tony made a good one um, for a, uh, yeah, for, for an Ethan Hawk vehicle that's coming out June 24th. I actually had to look up the date. Uh, it's a horror movie, though. I'm not sure what kind of horror movie it's going to be like a suspenseful thriller horror movie is kind of the way I get it. It's not going to be a slash and slash and burn kind of scary flick but it's called the black phone and the story appears to be a relatively simple one ethan hawk plays a horrifyingly creepy kidnapper of children who eventually murders them but he kidnaps his boy throws him in a basement locks him in there there is a black phone that is disconnected to any sort of phone line but the boy starts hearing it ring and when he answers the phone he starts to hear from the ghosts of the children that Ethan Hawke's character previously murdered. And it looks like it's going to be like this tense supernatural sort of thriller of can the ghosts help this boy escape? 
They also seem to be connected to the boy's sister who is outside looking for her as she, for him as she's having dreams and visions herself. Meanwhile, Ethan Hawke is trying to do everything he can to keep the boy in the basement and murder him with an array of just horrifying masks, just creepy ass looking masks that I think give it a, a, an amazing little aesthetic. This movie, actually, I remember initial trailers being dropped back in 2021. And I think it even came up in our chat conversation. Aesop had asked, did this already come out? Like, is this the last trailer? And it looks like it is. It looks like the marketing is really picked up for this movie as it comes out on June 24th. Yeah, I think we reviewed the, uh, took a look at the original trailer on this thing a long time ago. And it looked, I, I don't think there was a lot different in this trailer. But yeah, it, it's definitely one that, you know, and coming off Ethan Hawke's great performance in Moon Knight. Now you get to see him come jump right into this creepy child abduction with this real supernatural element as these kids are trying to explain to the one kid who's being held how to escape, you know, ghosts of, of a murdered past sort of thing. So yeah, it, it looks as far as stuff that I'd, I'd say, you know, on the horror spectrum that I'd say, okay, yeah, this is one I definitely want to see. I would definitely put this in this category. This, this one looks very interesting and good acting. I mean, Ethan Hawke is, really kind of evolved into one of my favorites lately. Tony, you shared this one and you're not particularly like a horror guy. And so to me, that tells me something about even your thoughts on the trailer. Go ahead. Yeah. I think the, the whole mask thing, it, the aesthetic of that kind of uh, it brings you in a little bit. Right. And to know that it's Ethan yep. Hawke, it, it brings you in even more, but I would say while you can put this in the horror genre, it's more of going to be a psychological thriller with, you know, heavy science fiction as far as, you know, ghosts and things of that nature. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's like a scary, just mind fuck. That's what it's going to be. Can you figure yeah. it out? You know what movie vibe I get from this trailer is, uh, the old Kevin Bacon flick stir of echoes. And I don't know if you've ever seen stir of echoes, but it came out around the same time that the sixth sense did. And it was a spirit trying to communicate with, with Kevin Bacon and unraveling a mystery as to, to how this person died. It's, it's quite good. It's, it's really good, but not so much in like, it's the exact same story cause it's not, but the aesthetic and the feel of that trailer and this, and this trailer or in that movie is very similar to me. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't know if I'll be able to see it at the theater. It is definitely one of those that I want to make sure I catch on a list, whether it's a streaming list, I still get discs from Netflix. So hell, maybe it's even getting a disc from Netflix. We'll see, but I'm in, I'm in and I'm looking forward to it. All right. Next on the list is what I would say is the next effort in what I would argue is one of the more polarizing efforts that Disney has made. And that is it's live action, quote unquote, live action reboot slash remake of one of their animated classics. One of my favorite animated classics, actually, as, as a kid, I used to watch this film all the time. And I, I watch it uh, periodically because I think it's one of the better Disney animated movies ever made in the history of the company, but they're, they're remaking Pinocchio. And they're casting Tom Hanks in the Geppetto role. And we got our first look at, at the footage of this film. Now, some of the things that they've left out of the trailer, I, I am more intrigued by. We do not get to see Monstro the Whale. We do not get anything 
of Pleasure Island other than the kids getting off the boat. But you, you, you do get a look at Jiminy Cricket. You do get a look at some of the other. You get a look at the animated Figaro and Cleo, the pets. You get a good look at the Blue Fairy at the end. You get to hear When You Wish Upon a Star, arguably the most famous Disney tune of Disney tunes. And I don't know, like, I don't know what to make of this. I think that the the live action reboots have been kind of hit or miss for Disney. I love this particular original. Tom Hanks is hard to, to argue against. Uh, and I'll admit, I was also one of the few people who liked the the Lion King when they redid the Lion King. Like, I was one of the few people who was like, I'm down with it. So that it's going to be on Disney Plus makes it much easier for me to be like, okay, I'm going to watch it. Um, Dave, you're a Disney guy. So in an unusual move, I'm going to start with Dave again uh, instead of instead of altering, altering the order. Plus, I really want to hear Tony's thoughts on the third trailer first uh, anyway. So, Dave, should Disney stop this? What do you think? What do you what What are your things thoughts on on this Pinocchio trailer and and these remakes that they keep doing? Correct me if I'm wrong, but we never saw Pinocchio in this trailer either, did we? Yeah, briefly, we briefly. Okay, uh, I I'm not a fan of the remakes just because I I think that you know they suffer by comparison uh, more often than not. I mean, you're talking. Pinocchio was what the second animated classic that Disney ever did Snow White being the first and it has stood up to the test of time as one of the most beloved animated anythings that that they've done and and I just think that I mean I didn't you know I didn't hate Beauty and the Beast I didn't hate Lion King I didn't particularly like it I didn't feel they were necessary um, you know if Disney thinks that hey there's money to be had in, in these live action remakes more power to them. None of them have done anything for me. I, I'd like to see them focus on different projects rather than bringing animation to life. Sometimes you don't need that. Animations in, in, in this day and age is 2022. We know as well as anybody that animation, really good animation stands on its own. You don't need to go in and make it live action all the time. So yeah, I, I this is one of these ones where it's like, I, you know, Lion King, I can see some of that. Pinocchio is not one of these stories that stands out to me saying, yeah, we needed to bring this to live action. So I guess, you know, we'll see. But I, I don't think this one was necessary, and I'm not particularly intrigued by it. Tony, what do you think about I, Disney rebooting these these old animated classics and, and the thoughts on this trailer? It's They've done it so many different ways. Like, they've they've put them all out then they've brought them all back and said oh here you can buy them again for a limited time and now they're redoing them in different ways so i'm okay with that i i thought the trailer was nice i mean i want to tell you that i'm going to watch it but i probably won't um no but it's just a great it's a great story though it's an it's another way for a new generation to fall in love with the story right so right. what what's wrong with that and who's opposed to disney making more money they've they've had a rough time of it lately so i know they're really struggling out there um Hopefully, hopefully they get, hopefully they pull through. Here's what I will say, Dave. I think you hit on why I'm okay with this being, this movie being made in a way that I was a little more puzzled when it came to Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King. Pinocchio's 70 some, 80 some years old. And I think, I think some of these older Disney classics are kind of forgotten films. And, and so, the thing that I love about Pinocchio that 
even the old animated version is, is it's less indicative of its time in a way that some other films that got made back then were. Like there, there's no there's no having to like shield people from some sort of message because something was racist at the time that it was made or homophobic at the time that it was made or anything like that. And, you know, the story of Pinocchio has, has all these fantastical elements to it. You know, it's got a talking Fox, right. With a, with a, with a cat, dumb cat sidekick. Like there's just so much that what I, what I hope this does is then drive people to the animated film that is available for them to stream and watch on Disney plus, or like I own it on Blu-ray and, and watch it as one of those people who went back and, and checked it out. So uh, I'm in, uh, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it and uh, we'll have to see how it goes. Cause Disney's not going to stop making these. I think, I think this is a real thing and they are, I, I will say this. Some of the remakes are great. Jungle book, the jungle book remake that they did directed by John Favreau, really, really good stuff worth checking out i'm just looking at the chronology of what disney released you know and and looking at stuff that say okay that might be an interesting live action remake fantasia that might be fun if they could actually pull that See, off but fantasia is not about i no. i'm just gonna say no and, and the reason why is because fantasia was decidedly made to showcase what could be done with animation and, and so to me, like a live action Fantasia is like the antithesis of everything that the original vision of Fantasia and then eventually Fantasia 2000. And God, I wish they would, you know, in, in three years, make a Fantasia 2025. They won't, but I would like them to, because I think that that that's Disney heading into the realm of art and would love to see. But enough about that one. Let's get to our last trailer. Paramount Plus, and I think this is coming exclusively to Paramount Plus on the streaming service. We knew, I, I think we knew this was coming because I, I do believe there have been news reports about Mike Judge signing off on on this to continue to make more, uh, more content with this duo. But we are getting, and we received our first trailer for Beavis and Butthead to the universe. I watched it. I remember very little from it other than there was an alien Beavis and an alien butthead at one point. And that I think they traveled through like space and wormholes and time to get to like the year 2022. And because I don't really remember that well, I'll just share that when I was younger, 20 some years ago, I watched Beavis and butthead kind of on the regular on the MTV I still remember one of my favorite um, parts of that show. I went to the theater and saw Beavis and Butthead do America. So I can't even like just even take that a step forward. But one of my favorite all time sketches, uh, if, for those of you who aren't familiar with the with the series, there would be animated episodes. And in between, there would be bits where you were they were watching television, watching music videos, and they would comment on current music videos. And one of my favorites of all time is when. Uh, sabotage by the Beastie Boys pops up and they start talking about it as if they think it's going to be a real television series. And Beavis starts describing each of the characters and he's like, oh yeah, this guy's the rookie. He's got a short fuse and starts talking about like what he's going to be. And then the, as the video is winding down, they're like, man, I really wonder when this show's actually going to hit, you know, 
be on TV because like we want to watch it. It's it's good stuff. It was funny. It's satirical. Uh, it's very satirical. It's very clever. Uh, and I, I I'm interested enough that I will probably spend an afternoon watching Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Tony, you strike me as somebody who might have checked out Beavis and Butthead back in the day. And why? Why? Why is that? Because <laughs> you would be entertained by that sort of humor. It's not about you personally. I just could see this striking a chord. And I think you'd be somebody who would be interested in streaming this when it's available to stream. I wasn't a huge fan. I did appreciate it, and I have seen a lot of them. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of it is... See, Ray, Patrick misses you a lot. So I think one of the parts I did like the most, though, what you were talking about was them watching the music videos was great, right? Uh, the concept is excellent. They've made a ton of money off of it. Beavis and Butthead to America was pretty good. This is going to be good. I actually got uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure vibes uh, or Bogus Adventure or New Adventure vibes from the trailer. Um, I love uh, Beavis in the prison while standing up on the yeah he's just rallying the the troops man yeah dave what do you think oh i i'm i'm all in i mean beavis and butthead's absence has been you know as south park has persisted as the simpsons have persisted you look at series that are in that sort of ilk and beavis and butthead are kind of like okay you can mention them sort of in the same conversation And, and the fact that there just hasn't been a lot of Beavis and Butthead content, and, and I understand that, you know, in this day and age where music videos are, are kind of passe to a certain extent, uh, you know, it doesn't really fit in, but I, I think this will fill the void, you know, like Tony, you're saying, he's in prison, he's got the great Cornholio gimmick going, I think we're going to get a lot of Beavis and Butthead's best, greatest hits in this uh, in this uh, show, this movie, and uh, I, I tend to be like Patrick, I will definitely etch out some time to uh, jump on Paramount Plus and check this out, because it looks fun. And it's Beavis and Butthead, so you know, an hour and a half, two hours of just completely adolescent, mindless humor. Sure, who couldn't use that? Brad, I don't know uh, that we've talked up. enough. Shut up, Beavis. They're talking about our movie on their show. Yeah, yeah, pinwagon nerds, huh? Yeah. You do a much better butthead than you do a Beavis. Yeah, but no, uh, fuck off. <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to make you mad. I, I'm mad at you. Like yeah, Tony, God, I, I want you to butthead. do the rest of the show with your shirt over your head so you can be like Cornholio. No, it's going to muffle the sound on the podcast. We don't want to fuck that up. This My audio is already bad enough as it is. So here's the thing. Lock the door in a hurry. All right. I don't think we talk enough about how great Mike Judge is, though, as, as, a, as a content creator. Like, whether it's Beavis and Butthead, Office Space which I think is still one of the most one of the most relatable movies if you've ever King worked Hill, in an right? office. What? King of the Hill as well. King That's of the like- Hill. Yeah. You don't you don't have King of the Hill without Beavis and Butthead. Because right. Mr. Anderson from Beavis and Butthead, that's basically who Hank Hill is, except like it's a younger Mr. Anderson. Um he'd get all mad about those two kids whacking well, off in his trailer. Yeah, the success of Beavis and Butthead led to a network, i.e. Fox, right. I judge, come over and do a show for the network, not for cable. <laughs> right. Uh, Idiocracy, I think, was was a Mike Judge uh, production as well. That, that's me digging into the uh, into the memory sure banks. But 
but he's a very, very insightful, very clever writer. Uh, I love that, uh, that, that he's still putting out content and, and I was never a big King, King of the Hill guy. Um, but I can't, I can't deny a lot of his other stuff. And like I it, office space in particular for me, like that's a movie. If it's on, I'll stop what I'm doing and watch it right up there with clue, um, or, um, clerks, just movies that like they're on and I'm like, done i ain't touching it until we see the end is, hey, is that why dave has a heart out today he has a meeting with the bobs yes no uh he might have a, he might have a bit bob speaking, speaking bob. of clerks there's rumors that the trailer for clerks three is not far off so i'm we've interested. been hearing that rumor for a while i can't wait for it um i i've i've always had outside of like that weird yoga hosers movie um uh, i've generally enjoyed kevin smith's work so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live with uh, whatever he pops out there. Okay, Dave, I'm not gonna make you do all the fancy special effects or anything like that, but I do want to jump into some news around the Nerdosphere. I got uh, three little nuggets. The first one we're gonna talk about is an article that uh, popped up regarding Netflix, talking about a new approach for the company in the wake of their lagging sub- subscriber growth as things have started to to really slow down and Disney Plus's bundle is catching up. At the time of the article that I shared from The Hollywood Reporter, Netflix is only 16 million global subscribers. Behind, or, um, Disney and its bundle is only 16 million subscribers behind. Netflix is 221 million. Based on this, Netflix has been in kind of a scramble lately. Now, we've talked about some of their revenue problems. We've talked about some concerns about uh, content and shows getting canceled. We've also talked about Netflix and sort of their their release schedule and how it seems like a lot of stuff, a lot of popular commodities have been getting released one after another. In fact, Stranger Things gets released. It's the most viewed premiere, right, in the history of the streaming service. It's just, it's going crazy. The dogs love it. They're going nuts. Dave's about to go lay the smack down on the dogs. And it's it's just, it's been a really interesting time. Well, news came out today, or not today, this week, that they're also going to be taking a look at their, their, their film release schedule. And this idea of going away from quantity and focusing on making bigger movies better movies and releasing fewer than it did previously. So I guess let's start, let's start there. Was the problem that Netflix was just investing money in everything. And so we weren't getting anything worth watching and, and, and this change in philosophy. Do we see it as something that helps? Tony's got a, got a quizzical look on his face. So I'll let him go first. I don't know. I think it's just refining the formula for them. Right. I mean, I don't, they're, they're still winning. They're still making a lot of money. They're still putting out a lot of really good content. There's still lots of things like if, if I'm, if I have time and I'm like, okay, I just want to hang out for a little bit and relax and and I'm going to turn something on and I don't have anything specific I want to watch on any of the streaming ones. I'll probably pop open Netflix first because it has the most variety of what I want to see, right? Different genres depth wise. So that's where I'm at with that. I don't know. 
I mean, I don't really give a shit about Netflix, to be honest with you. I think that streaming as a whole is always going to be there. And however you want to find it, that's going to be up to you. And now the nice thing is for the consumers, there's so many different things to choose from, right? So you don't have to just be beholden to the Netflix and how they're going to do things. But I definitely think this is just a strategic play on their part that they have found where they go ahead and pay more attention to bringing in the right director and the right cast and paying the right amount of money on studio and effects and things of that nature. It pays off more than just going ahead and throwing out the biggest net to catch the most amount of fish, casting that net over and over again. Dave, what do you think? I think um, last week, Aesop and I talked about the concept of streaming fatigue, and this seems to be somewhat of a, 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 at least an acknowledgement of that on Netflix's part, saying there's so much of this stuff that's out there that we need to, you know, and, and yeah, we need to trim the fat a little bit. We've got some subscribers that we've lost. We've got some revenue that we've lost. Our stocks are down. Disney's catching up with us. Uh, you know, the great thing about Netflix for the last couple of years, it's been, you know, like a blank slate, this great, uh, this great utopia where content creators could go and they would kind of green light most things and say, yeah, let's put it out there and see what happens. And, and now they're kind of like saying, okay, look, we need to kind of scale back on that a little bit. People aren't, not everybody's interested in these little niche categories. And then they even acknowledge you're still going to do that, but that they're going to look at, at doing, you know, bigger things, better things. It is a, a quantity over or a quality over quantity sort of scenario that they are kind of talking about right now with, uh, with the direction that they're going in. I mean, if you're going to put out more stuff like Adam project and, and things like that, and, and, you know, you look at the approach that they've had with stranger things and I'm three episodes into this season and it's, it's fantastic. Arguably their best season yet. Um, you know, you got stuff like Witcher, Lock and Key, Umbrella Academy coming up. They're focusing on the heavy hitters. I, I don't I don't think I think when you look at what's happened to their subscriber base and, and their numbers lately, um, you know, shifting philosophy a little bit, shifting their approach, probably not a bad thing right now. See if that writes the ship, so to speak. Sure. Don't you you left off is it cake? Um, apparently, you know, Izzy Cake is really good and The Floor is Lava season two just dropped. So make sure you catch that as well. That's really important stuff. Hey, I, somebody feed Phil's for just drop. That's excellent. Th- there you go. There you go. Here's the other thing uh, that I will say. I'm glad you talked about. Um, I think the Vanity Project thing was really fascinating. Like Netflix basically kind of throwing out money to directors, filmmakers, producers, or whatever to just make whatever the hell they wanted and it not paying off. Like, and, and I'll give a couple of examples. Um, I know it got nominated for an Oscar for, because reasons, but Scorsese's like five hour, whatever that was that he made. Um, Scorsese super fan. What was the uh, what was the name of the movie, the passion project he got to make? I'm talking to Dave. He's a Scorsese super fan. Not you. It's not all about you, Tony. But it's the, the Irishman. Irishman. That's a, and it was really know, fucking I, good. Really fucking boring and not interesting. And I don't know. It put me to sleep. Get, I give it a, a star. Anyway. Maybe I should go see Top Gun Maverick. You should go see Top Gun Maverick because it's a hell of a fine movie. You can give it one star if you want to, Tony. I'm all for it. Um, Adam Sandler is the other really good example where he's just been able to make shit. Like, literally just some really shitty movies 
because he he had an eight film deal and he's he's not even he he doesn't even pretend that he's made like trying to make highbrow stuff Dude, like, like uncut gems uncut gems is like the exception to the rule i'm talking okay. about some of the Are happy you, madison you, flicks that, all right but do you see the new movies coming out with which one hustle produced it with the Ron james it's space you haven't seen you gotta look that up hustle it, it's gonna look excellent Randy. Movie. He's also made about four horrible comedies through the Happy Madison brand. The last one I tried to watch, uh, the last one he did, which starred David Spade, and it was like David Spade on a blind. He he meets a woman at an airport, and he thinks he's texting her three months later, but it turns out to be this horrible blind date of, of this woman who's like super obnoxious. And it's just it was really bad. It was not quality stuff. And it Adam Sandler has said that a lot of the Happy Madison production stuff he makes just to do something stupid with his friends and more power to him. But as a business model for for Netflix, is it is it really worth their time now? I don't know. Um and it sounds like Netflix is trying to get away from throwing, you know, a bajillion dollars at various producers and directors for exclusivity deals to put this in. Dave, um, what do you think of The Irishman? Sorry. I didn't watch it. That's that's See? what I thought of it. So sorry. There you go. It's really good. Point too. point to Patrick. That's what I heard right there. Um, all right. Let's talk about people and how they suck. Because. Obi-Wan Kenobi, which, by the way, for the record, I enjoy the series. I've I've found myself liking it a lot. However, this week, fans started review bombing Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it coincided with news from one of the leads, Moses, uh, Moses Ingram, sharing that they have been receiving some really nasty racist comments and remarks about their role in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. That negative review bombing grew when Ewan McGregor himself posted a video, as well as many other cast members, Disney, Lucasfilm, in support of Moses Ingram and their role, showing love and support to their co-star. This is a much better step than the last time Disney was faced with with something like this, where they just didn't say anything, didn't do anything, and just kind of let it ride uh, with Kelly Marie Tran and um, John Boyega. But why do Dave? Why why do why do Star Wars fans suck? Like why? Because like why why is this a thing? Like why why do we allow this as as a people? Like what's going on here? There is a uh, segment of the Star Wars fandom that the best way you can describe them are entitled douchebags. And and I think that's really what it comes down to is, 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 you know, they think that it's some elite club that they, it gives them the license to say whatever they want and do whatever they want. And, you know, when they get called out on it, then they respond negatively to it. And you and McGregor basically coming out saying, you know, if you're a racist, there's no place for you in the star Wars fandom. And nothing wrong with him saying that at all. And for the fact that and it, it, the bigger disturbing thing for me is that 
the review bombing that has gone on tells me that, you know, there's a lot more racists who are Star Wars fans than maybe any of us anticipated. And it doesn't, and you know, Disney coming out saying there's 20 million sentient life forms in the Star Wars universe, which I understand isn't an exact science because let's be honest, it's a fictional place, but still you get the point. And it's, it is disturbing to see when you compare like the first two episodes and the high reviews that they got. And then this episode, which probably, you know, had some really iconic stuff going on, you know, the first Obi-Wan Darth Vader confrontation since Mustafar. And, you know, I mean, if you've got problems with the show and the episode for reasons other than racial stuff, like like the stuff that you're talking about, like with like Last Jedi, the issues that I had had nothing to do with anything racial. It's just, OK, it's not my favorite one of the movies. But, you know, if you're just downgrading something because somebody called you out on being a piece of shit, then that's on you. That's your problem. Get over it. I'm going to go a little pot as war here. Do you think, uh, do you, is, is Mustafa Ali? He's from Mustafar. Is that's why the Mustafa, right? Mustafar. No, I don't. Cause there's a big deal about the name. Is that like a, no. Okay. That was, that was just comedy tragedy. It was a, it was a good, um, it was but a overall good attempt, but overall, overall, <laughs> yeah, I can't listen to pot as war anymore. So I just, you know, let that, let that out. But overall, I think the easy sentiments here and, I don't think there's a lot of time need to be wasted here is the streaming series is excellent. Racism is bad and it's not needed anywhere in any society at any time. So what is their problem here? I mean, but like before I kick it back to Patrick, I mean, the thing is we know, we all know that there are these pockets of fans that have this entitlement sense of entitlement. We're elitists. Star Wars has that Marvel's got that pro wrestling definitely has those kind of fans all over the place. Uh, it did, but it doesn't give you license to say you're not in this bubble where you can just be and do whatever you want and say whatever the hell you want because you think, oh, I'm cool. I'm, I'm a fan of this segment. It, it doesn't change the fact that if you're a dick, you're a dick regardless of who you support or what you support. Right. And so <laughs> gatekeeping, that's, that's kind of where I go, where I go with this is when we and we've talked about this years ago. We we talking about some other fandoms. Where does this this like sense of entitlement really get formed? Like where is where how does it how does it breed itself this way? And then why and then should we if you're if you're a company like Rotten Tomatoes, what do you what do you do about review bombing? Do you, do you take people's like like do you take do you take that feature away? What do you do? Like I don't know. Nothing you can do really. I mean, the, and that's the important part of Rotten Tomatoes is and Metacritic's the same way, where you look at you've got the critical reception and then you've got the audience score. And and you know if there and, and we all know that there's a lot of places where those numbers are not going to jive with one another, but like there's empirical data that shows certain aspects of this that are concerning where, you know, you've got the score before a certain event takes place and then the score afterwards. And you can see the big shift in that. And it's easy to point to that and say, okay, this is why that happened. But yeah. How do you police that? If you're a company like rotten tomatoes or your Metacritic, how do you, without saying, you know, give me more, give me more information as to the basis for your score. Um, 
you know, then you're forcing people to write reviews, which is why I don't do a lot of shit on Amazon. It's like, I don't want to write a review for this shit. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you my rating, that sort of thing. But I, I don't think there's an effective way to, to police that. I, I Short of, yeah, I mean, sort of really delving into the reasons and, and why are you rating this a certain way? Um, yeah, you know, you want to rate it a certain way. That's your right. But when you see a trend and see and you see a trend going on and you see things scaling downward, the circumstantial evidence to use lawyering sort of term, the circumstantial evidence is very strong in this, that the review bombing was directly related to what you and McGregor said. And I don't think that's disputable, really. Right. Interesting note. I will say Rotten Tomatoes, at the very least, has done something because the user review score is now back up to 60 percent. So they they've definitely gone in and, and done something about it, whether it's filtering or cutting cutting reviews out. So they're they're trying. They're trying to make this, you know, a sort of quote unquote fair view and look at the show. All right. Last little news bit before we head into the commercial break. Um one, I didn't even realize we were this close, but Miss Marvel debuts this week uh on Disney Plus. So there's another series that Tony won't watch. He's already said he's not watching it. Uh, or at least he's not planning to. I, of course, will because I'm a completist. But we're going to talk about and we're going to talk about that a little bit in our in our last segment today. But Kevin Feige was doing an interview where there there were some reactions to the trailer and that uh, and that Kamala Khan is at an Avenger Con trying to be a part of the very first superhero convention, and in that. In that little bit, there was an interview that um, some folks asked Kevin Feige about where he talked about um, a lot of crew kept sneaking over to see and attend Avengers Con. So I think that might be fun to do it sometime. And that quote led to what we love to do here in this in this arena, speculate an Avengers Con or a Marvel Con could be in the future. Here's the thing. In a world where we have Disney doing Star Wars celebration, I don't even think this is speculative or is it feasible. I think it's lightly likely. So here's my question, because I believe it's going to happen. One, actually, it's two parts. Do you think it's going to happen? And when do we attend? PC Tunny. It's not just going to happen. It's probably going to happen three times a year in different regions of the country. How's that sound? Oh, so you think it'll travel? You think it'll be like a New York, Chicago, LA sort of why, scenario or, or the like? Why would, why wouldn't it? I don't know. I mean, Star Wars celebration only happens in Orlando, for example. So it's not, who knows? Dave, what about you? Um, yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, you've got DC fandom two years in a row. Marvel's going to respond. Um, I, I don't think it'll be a standalone, though. I think it'll be integrated into D23. And I would not be surprised to see next year uh, that you get it at, at D23. Why do you think it'll be at D23? Because I think I think Disney will want to integrate that into the overall corporate structure and present it in a way. Because it's, 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 you know, right there is one of their two biggest franchises, that and Star Wars. Uh, and, and I just, I feel like most of what I've read and in and, and a couple places say that they might want to switch a more Marvel centric focus to D 23. Uh, I, I think, you know, when, if you're looking at, 
if you're looking at trying to distinguish D23 from San Diego Comic-Con, and, and there seems to be some support for the notion that San Diego Comic-Con, as we knew it and loved it, may not be making the comeback that we expect, then, yeah, shifting it to a D23 environment makes a lot of sense to do this big. And you, I wouldn't be surprised to see Star Wars Celebration get kind of moved into and morphed into and, and turned D23 into a big Disney-centric, hey, we're rolling out all the big stuff at this Disney-exclusive convention. Uh, that makes sense to me. I know it's not what a lot of people want to hear because there's a... I mean, for us, like people like us, yeah, Star Wars, Marvel, we're all big fans. There are pockets of Marvel fans who are not necessarily Star Wars fans and vice versa. So, you know, maybe they want to see something more exclusive. But I, I think if you're trying to make D23 into as big a Disney-centric event as you can, then, yeah, adding a, a Avengers con to that, that helps. Yeah, I, I, I kind of hope that they sort of bookend their year and have its own have its own marvel sort of adventures con as its own thing to complement what they're already doing with star wars with star wars celebration especially with the amount of content that that they've got lined up for marvel and pump out they're putting out enough content in the mcu and marvel entertainment to have its own convention to have its own weekend like there's just without question and it's funny you look at it in a couple of years, they're not only going to be able to talk about new content, they're going to be able to start having some of those retrospectives on shit like Iron Man. Like 2028's not that far away. Isn't that crazy? Like it's to well, me, that's crazy. Like that you could be 20 years and you're looking back on Iron Man. And it ties into, I know what we're going to talk about pretty soon about, you know, uh, the MCU in p- particular is getting so big. Now that you almost you you could use something like that for like a roadmap, uh, and I know we're going to talk about that, so I don't want to step on that. But yeah, I mean, no, we won't we won't step on it too much. But so, I guess the next question is, Dave Tony Tony said he thinks they should do it three times and do it in three different locations. Uh, I personally don't see it that way. I I think it would make a ton of sense to do it at Anaheim on the Avengers campus at the uh, at Disneyland. Yeah, because. Because they can do like they can do anything and everything they want to with Marvel characters there, as opposed to Orlando, where they're beholden to the Universal Studios agreement. Well, right. and, and so, and here's the thing about that is that right across the street from California Adventures Anaheim Convention Center. So, or oh. the, part, the problem with Orlando is that, and I know this. Yeah, you know, well, in two weeks I'll be there, so I'll be able to speak from a higher position of knowledge, but. Uh, Orlando, as you know, Pat, you've been there. I was there nine years ago. It's very spaced out. There's not a convention center in remote proximity to what, you know, I know they're going to put Avengers Campus probably at Hollywood Studios eventually. Where it is right now, you've got California Adventure and yeah, the Anaheim Convention Center is literally across the street. And there's always, you know, kind of, it tends to fuck up traffic patterns and stuff. But if you wanted to do like a Marvel Con in conjunction with Avengers Campus, it's right, literally right there, five-minute walk, and you're there. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you. Anaheim is the perfect location to do that right now. Cool. All right. Well, we'll have to wait and see. I think as we talk about this as if this is a thing that is going to happen, that is because we think it is legit. 
We think it is going to happen. We definitely will. Of course, once they release that press release and tell everybody that it's officially going to happen, we will, of course, have you covered here on Bandwagon Nerds. What we're going to do now is we're going to take our second and final commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about continuity and just some some things, some criticisms that have popped up in the last week or so in regards to both the Star Wars universe according to disney and the marvel cinematic universe now before we head to all of that and before we go into our recorded commercials it is my duty to remind you that if you love the content that we put out on the Chairshot radio network on the chairshot.com every single day and you want to support us the best way to support us is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and invest in a chair shot shirt we have all kinds of designs to choose from everything from og chair shot logos to the bandwagon nerds shirt to sayings from various podcasts it's all there tons of great shirts to choose from they're only 19.99 or if you're feeling fancy want something that feels good on your giblets spend a few dollars more and get that baby soft style your body will thank you again we love putting out quality content for you every single day. We want your support. We need your support. And the best way that you can support us is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up a shirt. When we come back, we are going to delve deeper into the Star Wars and Marvel universes and their continuity issues or lack thereof. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code ChairShot. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code ChairShot to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Okay, welcome back. I'm going to share with everyone on the bandwagon today. I was, you know, infrequent in the chat to say the least uh, this week, but a couple of really intriguing articles popped up. Uh, one shared by Dave, one shared by Aesop that led me to some questions that I wanted to talk about with this group. And, and the first, and, it, and both of them kind of centered around this concept and this idea of continuity. I know they look at it in a couple of different angles. Now, Dave shared what he described as the worst review ever written. Um, and it's about episode three of Obi-Wan Kenobi. The article itself was titled, Obi-Wan Kenobi episode three beats the last Jedi as the worst piece of Star Wars ever created. Well, first of all, this person is an idiot because the last Jedi is not the worst piece of star wars ever created everybody knows that's the rise of skywalker but it did lead if you read this article and you kind of go through it the dogs are already angry about it too but there's um there's a lot of nitpicking that goes on in this article about obi-wan kenobi as a character who he is there's and there's been a lot of chatter around star wars about questions about timeline and continuity and if this all makes sense and whether or not disney is doing star wars some sort of a disservice here like there's like there's like this big massive phoning it in 
for reasons unknown. And I, and I don't know why that, that people seem to see it as problematic. I have enjoyed the series thus far. I think my issues that I have with the series is that 10 year old princess Leia looks like seven, six, seven year old princess Leia, uh, which I just think is kind of weird. And maybe it's just my own ageism there and sort of judging the child. Uh, I do, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I do think that there's been um, some level of questions of if you're like a real diehard original trilogy person, how, and especially in New Hope, how many people seem to have too much time on their hands and are really deep diving into the conversation between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader before they do their duel on the, on the Death Star. Uh, but to me, it just seems to be like a whole lot of ado about nothing. To quote PC Tony, I feel like this is one of those moments where it's Star Wars and people should enjoy it. Um, because to me, it's been an enjoyable show. The other thing that I have that's been a problem, and I, and I mentioned this offhandedly today, is that they have taken some characters that were like beloved in like animated series. And it seems like they've been done a little dirty. And the two examples that I specifically came up with were Cad Bane and the High Inquisitor. Though, if you listen to the writers of Obi-Wan Kenobi, they claim that the High Inquisitor may not be as dead as we think he is. So with all of that said, thoughts and comments about Star Wars and Disney's approach with this Star Wars universe. Do they have problems? Is there continuity issues? What do you think? Tony, you want to see to the floor. Tony, see, I, 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 I don't buy this conversation. I, I mean, fan, it's like fans of a new hope who are literally like you say, and Pat dissecting their dialogue on the death star, death star before they fight. And, and Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan and saying, well, this, what they've shown in episode three couldn't possibly happen. Why? Because Darth Vader says we meet again at last define at last. Because what happens on the Death Star is at least 10 to 12 years after this confrontation that they have on this far-flung moon. Uh, I I love the episode. I thought, you know, they did some stuff that was very clever. You know, I love the fact that nobody seems to, you know, people are like, I've seen some people say, well, you know, how would, uh, when, when, when Darth Vader does that line, I am what you made me. And I know people, some people had problems with that. It's like, is it so hard to believe? That Darth Vader, Sith Master, evil bastard that he is, can't pick up on Obi-Wan's feelings of failure and loss and guilt. Your thoughts betray you. You've heard that before. And 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 Darth Vader clearly can feel what Obi-Wan's feeling, and he plays that up to maximum effectiveness. So, yeah, I mean, you can really dissect all this stuff into minutia and quibble and and and, and you know nitpick the hell out of it but it, it does get to the point where it's like come on you just got to let some of this stuff go this is a they're clearly they're trying to fill in a gap in this timeline and like i said to you in, in the chat like i said to you guys i'm more curious with what happens to get obi-wan back on track in this series because you know we know that later on in rebels he fights and fit you know faces darth maul and kills him like i said to pat there's no way that this obi-wan would stand a chance against darth maul in a fight right now because he's just so broken so it's like i'm more interested with the story they're telling and not trying to say okay does point a line up with point b and and what about this tangent over here and yeah you can really just get lost in the details of this thing it just just i'm sure what tony's gonna say is it's star wars just enjoy it and i wholeheartedly subscribe to that so 
Yeah, I mean, it, it does have to make sense. People like us who live for continuity and, and, and cohesiveness and are big-time nerds on this whole thing, I have yet to see anything that really strikes me as like, oh, that's a cannon breaker right there. I haven't seen it yet. Go ahead. So, first, I'm going to be a Star Wars apologist and not apologize for it. And then, secondly, all you idiots, I'm going to remove your head from your anuses. Okay? So, first, Star Wars apologist. Why can't Star Wars be much like actual history in which there are multiple conflicting accounts of what has actually happened? That's very much a Star Wars apologist way of looking at it. Now, to remove your rear ends from your buttholes, here's what I would like to tell you. If you don't like watching WWE anymore, change the channel. If the Marvel Cinematic Universe has gotten too complicated for you, then find a different fucking universe, okay? Because let me tell you something. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg aren't walking through that door with Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, okay? It's not happening. Magic Johnson and Larry Bird aren't getting back on the motherfucking court in the NBA. And Stone Cold Steve, well, all right, but you got to give me that one a little bit. The Attitude Era is not happening anymore, okay? So what I'm saying is, if you don't like it, watch something else. And... Yes, Patrick, it's all Star Wars, and I love it. Except for the Mandalorian, that stuff is, or not the Mandalorian, the Book of Boba Fett, that shit's trash. Um, I really like it. I know you do. Anyway, mute you now. So, Dave, I I actually want to get back to something else you hit on here, because I do think that this is the other thing I found really fascinating out of this review that you shared, is how almost angry the reviewer was over the portrayal of Obi-Wan Kenobi because he wasn't just walking through and mopping the floor with every bad guy he ran into and and sort of tacitly ignores the story that's being told. It's, and that's what I think is really, you know, like this is supposed to be a, a broken Jedi. This is supposed to be a dude who really, like he knows what needs to happen because he's continuing his mission. But on some level, he's just he's not there. And this is about the journey that gets him back there. And that's what I find interesting about this this review. And uh, I actually I, I meant to re- I'm going to reclick on it because I really am interested in what this author, you know, J.B. Augustine. Nope. They wrote about Batman um, for some reason. I'd really like to know. Yeah, I know. I know. I see you making gestures at me. I sw- anyway, I guess I'm re- I really do just have questions as to what, what the author really was expecting out of this series and, and what they wanted. They wanted, oh, we want to be perfect and like destroy everyone. Because that, one, doesn't tell a very compelling story. And two, doesn't make sense for where the Jedi Order is supposed to be after Order 66. No, this still- if you want to come, sorry, Dave, you can pick up. I just want to say one thing. If you want to complain about a series and tell us why you don't like it, fine. But don't let it be. I didn't get what I wanted because that's what the fuck it sounds like. Sorry. Oh, really? What? Like, what do you want? I mean, what do you, do you really want to watch six episodes of Obi-Wan just beating the shit out of everything in sight? We've seen that. This is this is a, an essential story to tell about the relationship uh, of Obi-Wan and Anakin. And, 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 you know, where you go in that whole thing and why 
this relationship is as complex as it is. And it's also like this episode was very important just to show, in case you forgot how evil Darth Vader really was, watch this episode. This just randomly killing fools for no reason other than to trigger a reaction from Obi-Wan to bring him out of hiding. And I thought, you know, that's brilliant storytelling. But yeah, I, I this this author just like, yeah, really, what were you expecting from this? It's 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 Obi-Wan. It's 10 years later. He hasn't used the force in 10 years. It takes him a long time to be able to actually like save Leia's ass with the, you know, making her float. Um, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, it, it, just watching Obi-Wan beat the shit out of everybody in sight for six episodes. Who cares? I've seen that before. Is it safe to say that? Vader is not at full Vader strength as he will be in the next trilogy of movies yet because he's still going through the treatments, right? That doesn't happen in the next trilogy. Like, so maybe as I know it's 10 years, but it's nothing to write home of all what, you know what I'm saying? I think they will be both me moving towards their powers again. I think that's right. a good point. Well, Vader's always in the tank when he's not in his, when he's not in his like robotic gear, but I do think his like delving into the, the dark side and the power and growth from there, that's a very real thing. I, uh, you know, you kept saying Davey's just choking. He chokes out a child at one point in, in that walk through that, uh, through that town street and, and really was, was evil, evil. And that's, and that's really what they're going through. It reminded us that Darth Vader was supposed to be menacing again. No, I mean, with, think about it. A, with the exception of what happens at the end of Rogue One, that's probably the most evil that we've seen him so far, wouldn't you say? Well, and that and that's the thing is, yeah, I would I would agree with that. And, and you you have to look at what was relied upon. You know, the original the the, the original trilogy. He's he's a presence. He's an intimidating force. You're in. You're introduced to him holding somebody up by their throat and and breaking their neck after he talks to them and, and choking people indiscriminately. And as the story moves on, he's more obsessed with Luke Skywalker and altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further and things like that. By the time we get to the prequel era, it's about how he, we got to where we are. The animated series, like you don't see a lot of Darth Vader, Darth Vader, into, even in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, until late in the series and you do get some great stuff out of that but it's still like Darth Vader with a touch of heart like the whole there's still good in him this period is really supposed to be Anakin completely wrapped up in the darkness that is Darth Vader so I I I don't think it has a continuity problem a serious continuity problem no more than anything else that you would pick apart um that you that you would call nitpicking there's not been any sort of like whoa this makes no goddamn sense unlike you know i don't know the emperor surviving being tossed down the shaft of the the then crumbling exploding death star and secretly building a fleet of star destroyers that has death star laser capabilities and nobody knows anything about it he was doing it forever because reasons that's a real continuity problem Oh, that Patrick, you that is, he got sucked out of the butthole very much. Thank you, butthead. That's the sort of stuff that makes no goddamn sense. That Obi Wan Kenobi doesn't look old enough to look like Alan Guinness. Ten, you know, <laughs> ten years. Like that's not a continuity problem. It's just it's not. And, and the the 
you know, Ewan McGregor's in his 50s. That's okay. And by the time Luke Skywalker, who's 19, so we got another 10 years. People keep saying eight. He didn't graduate high school and like become like he hasn't gone to the academy for like two years. No one like knows. He's older, older, older than 18. Actually, know how old Luke is. Nobody knows when he takes Luke in. Everybody just went high school. Because that's where you are in the United States. So you're like, oh, he must be 18. He's going to be a freshman in college. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. And he's had opportunities denied by his uncle Owen. Okay, enough Star Wars. Let's shift over to the other article that was shared by Aesop, who even said when he shared the article, he did it to get a rise out of me. And this is an article that did work when I put the link in the rundown. It is from the website, theescapistmagazine.com. It is written by Jesse Lab, and guys, Jesse thinks keeping up with the MCU is just too much, too much work. It's too hard. It's become homework. And their argument is, is that to watch anything now that the MCU releases, you have to watch all this stuff, or you're going to be confused and lost. And they they lean into uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and all these things you have to know. I think this is bullshit. I, I think it's bullshit for the entirety of the MCU with a nugget, a nugget of concession that I'm willing to make that you might need to watch a couple of other things to fully embrace what you're seeing on a current thing. But I do not believe by any stretch of the imagination that what the MCU puts out these days, you need to watch everything or you'll understand nothing. Tony looks like Dave wants to go first again. I, I just, yeah, uh, it, it's too, it's too much work and it's homework and, and it's, it's just, it's too much for me. I can't do it. Wow. 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 Look, yeah, I, I don't think you have to watch, especially where we are right now with the beginning with phase four. Do you have to watch everything that came before to know what's going on right now? No. Is it helpful? Absolutely. You know, if you're like us and you've watched everything from Iron Man to now, then does it does it create a a richer, more involved, greater depth of understanding as to what's going on? Yes. Does it add something to the story if you know all this other stuff that's going on? Sure, absolutely. Is it absolutely essential? I don't think so. Uh, like you're saying, Pat, there are you sure are there certain things you should know? Okay, you should know about Infinity War and you should know about Endgame. I think those are important. And yeah, it, like I said, it's helpful to know everything that helped happened that led into that. Sure. But is it absolutely essential that you watch Thor Dark World to know what's happening right now? Probably not. Uh, you know, is it, did, did you have to watch WandaVision to know what was going on in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? Probably. Hold that thought. Hold that, okay. hold that thought. Okay. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into Doctor Strange specifically because of, of, but, of okay. the, the on, going after. On the other yes. hand, did you have to watch Falcon and Winter Soldier to be able to enjoy that movie? No. Or Eternals? No. Or Black Widow? No, no. not really. No, not at all. Did you have to watch, you know, is Loki going to be important? Probably. Okay. Is Miss Marvel going to be important? Who knows? But I, I think, you know, there, there are many resources out there that will provide you with a roadmap to guide you through the MCU if you really want to go down that path and immerse yourself well, completely. So, so, so now you're reinforcing the article. You're not debunking it. So I just I want you to know when you're when you're describing it like that, like there's ways that you can learn. I, I mean, that's that that says, yes, you sure, need to do it depends homework. On I your, still disagree. It depends on your temperament. I mean, you can be as involved a fan as you want to be is what I'm saying. It is it is your choice. 
is it too okay. hard? I, I'm That's just, a little different. Yeah, I'm saying you know when they're saying it's too hard to to circumnavigate this whole thing, I, I don't I don't buy that. It, it depends on how much you want to immerse yourself in it. It's optional. All right, like all right Tony, I'm gonna let Tony jump in now. Tony, jump in there. No, oh, I agree, Dave. I agree with you 100. percent And I kind of let a little bit of my what I wanted to comment on <clears throat> this article slip into our Star Wars conversation. But in the end, I'll say this. This is probably the same person who turns around and writes an article that says there's no continuity in the DC universe. Well, well there, there is no continuity in the DC universe. So. No, 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 no. But you see what I'm saying? You can't right. bitch about both things. You can't. Right. You just can't. So here's here's what I will here's here's where I got into this nugget of truth. Because um, I do think that like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, if you haven't watched WandaVision you have a lot of questions as to why the fuck Wanda is, is the way that she is. Like, cause they like the whole concept of Wanda's children and how, how, how she sort of got her hands on this dark hold, like that stuff. WandaVision. You still get the important. point though, of that. She's but, there. She's struggling for her family. You just don't understand where it all came from. You can still enjoy right. the movie. Okay. Uh, can I finish? Yeah. Now you can. Sorry. You got, you got a little worked up there. It's all right. Well, I was drink. But the 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 some of the other points that this like this author's like you know now I have to watch what if to understand this Illuminati business and I had to watch one or uh, Loki so that I could understand the multiverse and I had to do this and this and this. and that that is patently not true it's, you know because for outside of Wandavision I felt like there was nothing else that wasn't explained well enough in the movie for you to even move forward. And even as Tony intimated, it doesn't take much to figure out that Wanda's struggling. You know, Marvel does take some assumptions now, 20 plus movies in, that its audience has seen a lot of the stuff they're putting out. But you don't need to know, like you don't need to watch What If, and you don't need to watch Loki to understand the concept of the multiverse, because we explained the multiverse early in the movie. We bring in these characters from other multiverses after they've explained the multiverse. So you can sit there and be like, even if you don't know who Monica Rambeau is, you can be like, oh, in this universe, Miss Marvel is black and is a woman named Monica. In this universe, Captain America wasn't Captain America. It was Captain Britain. Now, if you've watched What If, you're like, oh, look at that Easter egg from the cartoon. How cool is that? And that's nice. But that isn't required. Like that, that you don't have to do that. And here's where this is going for me. Has a disproportionate portion of the fan base started to try and take over the narrative of what it means to watch these shows, um, these movies, and thinks that they have, like, this is where this gatekeeping question comes back in for me. This feels like gatekeeping. This feels like we're backlashing on, uh, on fans who might be the, in wrestling parlance, we use it all the time. The casual fan. Like, it feels like there's a lot of this going on right now with Marvel and Star Wars in particular, where we're now getting to the point where I, I think articles from websites that say, here's everything you need to watch in order to, to watch Doctor Strange. That's a bad article. Because that reinforces negative Nancy here who says this feels like homework. You're... If you're one of those people writing that article, you are not 
doing what you think you're doing. Because I think those articles are written in a way to be like, we love this. This is so great. Watch these things too. So that you can really love this the way that I love this. People don't want to do that. My wife, for example, wants to watch Thor Love and Thunder. Kind of wanted to see Doctor Strange. No interest in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's just the way it is. And she doesn't need to watch that to be able to to watch any of those other movies. And that's okay. No, and, you're, and you think about the premise that this show was started on. And I know we morphed into a more deep diving nerd based, you know, more hardcore thing. But the show kind of, yeah. yeah, the show started off on the premise that we we're going to try to educate some of these casual fans, these bandwagon nerds out there. And I think, you know, to a great extent, we try and do that by pointing people in, in the right direction. But yeah, you're, you're right. There's, there's that, that sense of elitism. Hey, you know, I know all this stuff and you should too. And that may be fine for some people and other people may like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to invest that much of my time in my life into this just i just want to get the crux i mean you know i i i i see you see it all the time what do i need to watch to understand this it's a question that i still get asked by people what do i need to watch in order to understand this like on the dc side do i need to watch x y and z no not really uh but yeah i mean it 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 just it just it really depends on the individual and how deep you want to delve into this thing if you want to go really deep diving into all this stuff it's there for you if you just want to you skim the surface, that's fine, too. It doesn't have to be this ultra-involved homework assignment where I need to, like, fucking have a flow chart to tell me exactly how do I get from Iron Man to Doctor Strange 2 and, and not miss anything critical. No, but no, here's you're... a better article. Here's a better article. Here's the levels of, D- of Marvel fandom and what you need to watch to get out of this, right? Like, so... You could say people who have just watched these major things, they get this out of this. And then people who have watched most of it get this. But people who watch everything, they get this much more out of it, right? So it could have been positive, like Patrick said, instead of negative and almost bashing the people that have enjoyed all of it and the fact that it's so in-depth. I do think sometimes fans get in, get in their own way. Um, I think that super fans get in their own way in the way that they, they do stuff. And, and yeah, we've talked about... Um, We've talked about fatigue. I think that's a very real thing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, you don't need to watch everything Disney slash Marvel has put out to get full enjoyment out of a show and a series. I think I'm very much more a fan of, if you liked this, check out this. You might like it too. All right. Before we go, I do have a couple of little housekeeping things that I wanted to, to share with everyone. I've missed a couple of shows. Uh, first, um, two shows ago, I shared my number one story arc in comic books with Dave. Dave, I know you put it out on the air, but I wanted to talk about it really quick because I, I really was excited to, to talk about Brian Michael Bendis, Avengers Assemble, or Avengers Disassembled, which started on uh, Avengers issue number 500 and literally is the launching point for modern Marvel comics in terms of everywhere the universe went from 2000, I think six or so forward. If I, I may have my dates a little off on that. I'm sorry if I do. If you like Marvel films and Marvel MCU stuff, most of what you are watching was launched from Brian Michael Bendis's Avengers Disassembled number 500 through 503. The aftermath of that, everything that goes forward really stems from there. And 
I, I was disappointed that I wasn't able to talk about that. It's a great story arc to check out. Tony, I know you said you were looking for stuff every once in a while on Comixology. Avengers Disassembled, I think, is one that's worth checking out and then sort of flashing forward to other landmark Marvel story points if you're ever inclined to check it out. The other thing I wanted to talk about uh, is just a little bit of a heads up. This is the first time that Dave and Tony are hearing this is I'm going to be gone again for a couple more weekends uh, in June. I'm going to be off the show next week and the week after as I have to manage some other familial commitments uh, and won't won't be here. Good things this time. My uh, my brother and my father are coming to visit me. I haven't seen them uh, in over five years it's going to be great. I'm going to see my nephew. The last time I saw him, he was not a teenager, and now he is. So good trip. Great to see them. Sorry, not going to do a podcast. And the weekend after that, I'm on vacation with my family. So I'm going to be on the beach, and you can make fun of me of being on the beach while you talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi behind my back. Totally fine. All right. Last thing I wanted to talk about is I did want to talk about why I was absent the previous two weeks. And that was – um for, I'm going to pull the curtain all the way back. While we were recording Bandwagon Nerds, um, my wife came down with the news that her brother-in-law had passed away. And I had to leave the show abruptly. Dave and, Dave and Tony kind of hit the high points of what was left on the agenda to to make sure that we got a podcast out and, and got it done. It's It's been, and then the following week was, um, my, my wife was out of town attending to uh, her, her mother, uh in illinois and i talked a a little bit about it over on the greg demarco show this past wednesday and i wanted to just talk very very briefly now about um the importance of of not only seeking help when you're when you're not well but also if you're an ally and a friend asking people if they need help and being being a resource for folks if you notice something off uh, because you really don't know how that will impact or help others and, and and hopefully help yourself. And so that's my little PSA for that. And, and, and you know, just a little bit of I'm sure people can draw their conclusions as to what that means and to why I was gone. And, and that's fine. That's that's about all I'm going to say to that. The other thing that I wanted to do here on this recording before we let Dave go, because he's got 10 minutes before he's got to get out of here, is. I did want to just thank uh, Dave, PC Tony, Aesop, uh, and Ray Cash um, for outreach, for checking in, uh, for offering support, uh, and all of that. And, and you know, Dave, Aesop, and uh, and PC for you know managing the ship for the last couple of weekends while I've you know, been away and been unable to do, to do so, you know, for something that's, that's different than just being on vacation. And so I wanted to thank you guys publicly on the show and make sure that you guys know that that was definitely appreciated. I really did appreciate it. And that, um, it, it meant a lot to us. It meant a lot to my family for us to be able to, to keep that going. So thank you. Thank you very much. And with that, we are going to make our way out of here. Uh, and before we do that, just ask everybody once around to tell our listeners where they can find you on the socials and the Chair Shot Radio Network. And we'll start with the guy who's got to get out of here, David Ungar. You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. PC Tony. 
You can find me at PC Tony Twitter and Facebook. Make sure you're checking out everything Chairshot Radio Network right there on all your favorite streaming platforms and at thechairshot.com, where we encourage you to always use your head and listen to the brand new show, Chairshot Bets, every Thursday morning with myself and Christopher Platt. I bet you'll love it. And kids, ah! two, two final messages for the kids out there. A, don't smoke crack. B, don't get stung in the eyebrow by a wasp. Neither are a good experience. Excellent, excellent advice. And you can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can catch me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Mondays talking nerd stuff with these guys. Tuesdays talking hockey slash music with David Ungar. Wednesdays with Craig DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Greg DeMarco Show. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Now get yourself up out of the basement, get some sun, and don't sweat continuity details. Don't sweat all of these strange, out-of-sorts things. Just enjoy the ride. It's supposed to be fun. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Just a wrong number What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.